I've entitled this class, God Speaks. That's a very significant part of the book of Hebrews, a unique way, I think, to look at the book of Hebrews, to take those Greek words, laleo and, and others, and, and look at uh, the way they are used within the book of Hebrews. So that's what we're going to do. Now, you can hear people speak in a variety of ways. I come from a family of, of communicators. And if I had Rebecca here this morning and I don't, I could have brought Rebecca up on stage and she could have told you how all of her sisters and her mother and her father speak. She could not only imitate our voices, but our hand gestures because each one's unique. Gracie, okay, there, that's it. And I can't do it, but she can, and that's Gracie. Or she can do Becky, which I would never do. Um, and Rebecca, that's disrespectful. Um, she can do, uh, uh, each of her siblings as, as she does them well. It's interesting to be someone who likes to talk and I do, I love to talk, but I've found, as you all know, you can communicate in a variety of ways. You can communicate by the words you say. You can also communicate by the life you live. In fact, in a lot of ways, what you do communicates more than what you say. Because words come a lot easier than actions do. And actions tend to prove where words are true and where words are false. This is really on my heart right now as I'm in the middle of this trial. And it's so interesting to watch these witnesses who say one thing but seem to do another. And, and some of what I try to do with the jury is explain through the witness, you're saying this, but we've seen your track record of that and try to compare those two because they're different ways. So people talk and communicate differently, but we are a communicating people. You have trouble thinking without thinking of words. It's just part of the way your mind, you know, if I tell you think of a pink elephant, you can think of the picture of a pink elephant, but somewhere in the midst of that, you're thinking pink elephant as well. You've got the words. We are so into it that the Greek word that we translate word, logos, is also the Greek word that tends to be rational thought and logic comes from that Greek word because thought and words are so intermingled. Now, why is this my introduction to the book of Hebrews? Because Hebrews jolts us in the very first sentence with a, an in, incredible concept. It's so incredible that I really want us to pause and think about it because I'm convinced it's something we often take for granted. Here it is. There is a God who is God Almighty. He's God in the highest, El Elyon. He is the supreme God. El Shaddai, God Almighty, exists. He's real. He's responsible for the entire breadth and depth of the universe. From the gazillions of stars that exist to the trillions of cells in your body. This God exists 
And he chose to speak to people. I have a pretty busy life. I have trouble speaking to the people I see. Much less everyone else. This God chose to speak to humanity. Of his own volition, of his own will, of his own decision making. And that's the start of the book of Hebrews. But it's put together in a very profound fashion. The writer begins and says, In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through Jesus, his son. Now, remember this in the context of our overview lesson last week. If you were here, if you weren't here, here's last week in 30 seconds. A lot of people who followed the Hebrew faith understood Jesus as Messiah, accepted him as such. But they hit a point where they were wondering, you know, he hadn't really returned yet. Uh, everybody else gets better meals at Yom Kippur. Uh, uh, you know, uh, my friend Rick Meadows here, Rick's Jewish. Rick says to me, he says, yeah, all Jewish holidays evolve around this. They tried to kill us. They weren't successful. Let's eat. <laughs> <clears throat> That's, that's the way you tell it, isn't it, Rick? That's basically it. Um, so so the, 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 the Jewish believers in Jesus were sitting there kind of wondering, gee, some of them at least, can we just go back to where we were? And the writer or preacher of Hebrews says, you are where you were you're just at the fuller end of the conversation. See, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. It's the same God speaking to us today through His Son. And what I want you to see as we work through this is, is that very concept. It is the same God giving the same message that He gave through the prophets to our fathers that He's giving to us today through his son. And so the first four verses of Hebrews in Greek make one sentence. Our translations don't do that. It would look awkward in English, but it's one sentence. I've pulled out a couple of those verses because they make such a nice little package in the Greek. It's worth looking at. This is the way it begins in the English Standard Version. Long ago... In many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Now, look at that for a moment. Reflect on that for a moment. And can you see how it naturally divides into two pieces? There's kind of a parallel thought going on here. Long ago... Long ago, there we go, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers 
by the prophets. And then look at the parallel thought. Instead of long ago at many times and in many ways, it's, but in these last days, God has spoken. Instead of to our fathers, it's to us. Instead of by the prophets, it's by his son. You see that parallel set up there. Now, what will really jolt you if you're reading this in the Greek is there's really one, only one active verb there. We don't get it in the English. In the English, they say, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. But that God spoke is actually a preposition, uh, not a preposition, a participle in the Greek. Lalesos, it's God speaking. The real verb doesn't come until he has spoken. Because in the Greek, what this does is ties it all up into one tidy box. And it's the writer's way of saying, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God's speaking to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken. And it shows this to be one conversation. It's one dialogue. It's one message. What God was saying before, what God was speaking before to our fathers by the prophets is what he has actually verbally, verb, spoken to us by his son. That Greek participle in that's translated by can mean by, can mean with, can mean in. We can say he's spoken to us with his son. He's spoken to us in his son. He's spoken to us by his son. But it's the same message that God was speaking through the prophets. It's the message of relationship between God Almighty and you and me. It's the message of relationship between God and humanity. And so that's the message. Look at how it comes out. Here's one of the examples. Before God started the message through the prophets, in Jesus, God finishes the message. Same conversation, same message. And so we can read Hebrews in this sense. And once you understand this as kind of an opening key to unlocking and opening the door to the book, you begin to understand the book a lot more. Because the book is just one Old Testament conversation being explained in Jesus after another. So it's Old Testament conversation explained in Jesus. Old Testament conversation explained in Jesus. It's the Old Testament message delivered through Jesus. It's the Old Testament message confirmed in Jesus. It's the Old Testament message Finished in Jesus. That's the book. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at some of these passages with you. But remember the key to this. The key to this is the message hasn't changed. It's the same message. The message hasn't changed. I was reading um, a conversation with Bono recently. Larry Burgess turned me on to this book. <clears throat> and uh, so I was reading this 
conversation with the front man for this rock, Irish rock band, U2. And in it, the comment is made that the interviewer is Jewish. And he says to Bono, he says, uh, you know, I got a picture of you back in the 80s where you look like this Jewish taxi driver that, that's in the family. And Bono started laughing and he says, you know, I don't know my heritage that well. We just seem to be a bunch of Irish bumpkins. But he says, I'd love to say that I had some Jewish blood in me. If I got to pick my heritage, it would be there. And I got to tell you, I agree with him. If I could pick my heritage, somewhere, mom, back in the lineage, we got to have some Jews somewhere. We moved around a bunch. I would love that. I would love that. The message hasn't changed. And that's the key to understanding it. So let's look at it. One of the first passages, what I've done is I've tried to pull out the scriptures in that first section especially. Uh, The the first section of Hebrews is one where uh, 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 Jesus is being explained as superior to angels. And then he he rolls in and he continues uh, the the preacher. I think Hebrews ultimately was an early church sermon. The preacher or the author is one who continues to say... Uh, uh, Jesus is superior to the angels. He, he's, he's the answer of, of what Moses was. He's the answer of all of these different things. And so don't turn from him. You're turning from the answer. You're ending the conversation short. Don't stop in the middle of the conversation. God has spoken. Here's what God said to our fathers through the prophets. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. That's Psalm 2, verse 7. Now, one thing you and I lose in this dialogue as we listen to this sermon today. In the first century, the Jewish people were still very messianically hungry. They were still looking, praying, seeking Messiah. And we can read what their rabbis were saying and wrote. And it's readily apparent from reading certain passages of scriptures that the Jewish rabbis believed to be messianic. And what we mean by that is these were Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Remember Messiah. The Hebrew Mashiach is The concept of an anointing, in Greek, anointing is translated Christos. And so Christos and Messiah, Christ, Messiah, same thing. Just a question of whether you want to use the Hebrew word or the Greek word. But when you call Jesus Christ, you're calling him Jesus Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Okay? So, here we've got it. Psalm 2. You are my son, today I've begotten you. Understood by the Jewish people to be a messianic reference to the Messiah, to the Christ. And of course, Jesus is one who John proclaims in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is fulfillment. Not just fulfillment, you are my son, today I've begotten you. 
but fulfillment not in word only, but in deed. He gave His only begotten Son. It's something God did. The Son of God was prophesied and fulfilled. To let go of Jesus and return to Judaism isn't an abdication of Christianity only. You're returning to a place of wondering who the Messiah is going to be. And you'll never find a Messiah who fits the Old Testament message of God like Jesus. Jesus is Hamashiach, the Messiah. And so we've got this. Look at the next passage quoted in Hebrews. The next passage is from 2 Samuel 7, 14. I, God, will be to him a father, and he, the Messiah, shall be to me a son. From the beginning of the Old Testament speech of God, the message of God, it's been that there will be one who will be my son, and I will be to him a father. Now, of course, we see that repeatedly in New Testament passages that reference Jesus. But I want to go to the words of Jesus himself. Jesus, on the verge of being arrested, in that final conversation he has with his apostles, in John chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus even says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus was making this claim. We should never read the words of Jesus and think that Jesus was simply claiming to be a good man. Jesus was claiming to be Messiah. Jesus understood who he was. If he's a good man, it doesn't do him any good to go to Calvary. If he's just a good man, when Pilate says to him, uh, are you a king? It's real easy to say, uh, No, can I go home now? This is why people say Jesus had to be a couple of things. He's either a a nut job or he's a liar or he's who he claimed to be. So, what else do we have? The next passage. The message hasn't changed, and the writer of Hebrews kind of takes a pause here and puts in a passage. Do you know why the message hadn't changed? Think about it. The message is, here's God, righteous, just, and loving. What does a righteous, sinless, yet just God do with God? unrighteous, sinful humanity. Whatever righteous, just God is going to do to restore this relationship that has been totally divorced by sin, whatever that righteous, just God is going to do, it must be righteous and just. God cannot unjustly excuse humanity of their sins or God is not just. God cannot excuse man's shortcomings 
through some unrighteous means, or God is not righteous. God who is righteous and just must forgive and find a way to restore sinful humanity in a manner that is both righteous and just. And God had said from the time of Adam that he would do so. He said, I'll do it through the seed of woman. And then he further specified through the seed of Abraham, through the seed of Isaac, through the seed of Jacob, then out of the tribe of Judah, of the lineage of David. And that specification kept going. But here's the key. The message never changed because God never changed. God has always been righteous and just and loving, and He's not changing. So His message of how to deal with humanity, it's never changed either. And we know this from Old Testament scriptures, and the writer, the preacher of Hebrews says, look at Psalm 102, 25 to 27. Actually, he didn't quite say that. They didn't have them numbered that way. But if he'd have had our Bibles, he'd have said, turn to Psalm 102, 25 to 27. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. From the very beginning of time, you were there. You laid the foundations. The heavens are the works of your hands. From the very inception, you were there. And even as the earth and heavens will perish, you won't. You'll be there at the end. They'll all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You just roll them up like a garment. Change them. But not you. You're the same. You're the same as the God who's laid the foundations of the earth, as the God who will roll them up one day, and the God whose years will never end. This earth will pass away. The heavens will pass away. It'll all be changed. God will not. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Forever and ever. And back before creation. That's the God we have. And so within that framework... You've got many more passages. I didn't know how many I'd have time to get to, so we're going over to the Elmo. I got them ready over here. Oh, let's make this more fun. Let's do this show and tell. Hold on. Uh Uh-huh. You don't get... (laughs) Okay, I got to digress for a moment. Trial story. So, (laughs) so (laughs) we've got this witness on the stand. We started him... uh, Yesterday, or Thursday, I guess he started, but uh, we started cross-examining him. Just a little bit of time left on Thursday afternoon, and we really got into it on Friday. And I don't believe this fellow's uh, as, what's a polite way of saying he's a liar? Um, I don't believe this fellow's as forthright as he should be. And so what I've done is I've, I've got this Elmo, and I've written down these these statements and these these things, these questions and all. And I'll put it up there like I've put this up for you. And then I'll say, will you agree with that? And, and each time he'll say no. And then I'll say, but here's the proof. And I'll put the proof down there. And he'll argue for about 10 or 15 minutes. And finally he'll say, oh, okay, I, I agree with it. And we did that for hours. 
on Friday. If you're going to be in Dallas tomorrow, come by and watch. We're going to do it all day tomorrow. We've still got a lot of things to fix with that gentleman. Okay, here we've got the passage. Let all God's angels worship him. This is a messianic passage. Deuteronomy 32, 43. All of God's angels are called upon to worship. The one who is to come. We're fresh off Christmas. I could have picked a lot of passages. But I went ahead and picked Luke 2, 13 through 14. This is the Bethlehem story. This is the incarnation. This is the Messiah's birth. This is God becoming human. And suddenly there was with the angel that's proclaiming the, the, the Messiah, a multitude of the heavenly host, angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. The coming of the Messiah was marked with the angels' praise and adoration. Of course, it's not the only passage, but it's one. The writer then goes, the Hebrew writers goes to Psalm 45, 6 and 7. In the psalm we read, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. The basis of God's very kingdom And his throne that lasts forever is righteousness. It's uprightness. Here's our problem. We all want to think about scales. We all know we sin. So we just figure God's going to be fair. We want a a fair God by our terms, not a just God. See, a fair God might say, okay, I'm putting your deeds in the scales. Here's all of your tisk tisk bad deeds. And here are all of your, yes, good deeds. And our hope is that the good deeds will outweigh the bad deeds. And God will say, you pulled it off. Come on in. But the problem with that is, that's not righteousness. Because every bad deed deserves punishment of death. Sin is not a mild misdemeanor, Sheriff. Sin is not simply a misdemeanor that's going to take a $200 fine and you're okay. Sin is a capital offense because it's an impurity. And if you are 100% pure, listen, if I've got a glass of milk and that glass of milk is 
ready to be consumed with Oreos or some other appropriate health food. And someone is to take an eyedropper and drop into that glass of milk a drop of ink. That ink will disperse in the milk and you can't drink your way around it. If you know someone who has a deathly disease that's contagious by saliva, they have a salivating jungle rot fever that once you come into contact with their saliva, you're dead within two hours. And they say, oh, here's a bottle of water. Oh, I saved you some. There's some backwash in there, though, that'll kill you. Drink around it. You don't sit there and go, well, the backwash is only... 3%, 97% of that's good. Hey, I'm fine. You don't. The backwash will kill you. That's the way sin is. Sin is not just, ah, it's a misdemeanor. So you don't just put it in the scales. You've got God that is 100% pure like milk. And sin is that ink. And you just, if if God were to take sinful humanity into his bosom without paying the price for the sin, God would dilute his righteousness. Can't be done. Can't be done. His scepter of uprightness, that's the scepter of his kingdom. He's loved righteousness. He's hated wickedness. So God has anointed you. Jesus, with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. Jesus has the power to forgive sins because Jesus pays the price for the sins. He doesn't pay the price for his own sin. He didn't have any. He paid the price for ours. So the debt has been paid. The punishment, the just righteous punishment has been given. And you see it in the teachings of Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. This is one who who hates wickedness in Jesus. You see it in his teaching. You tithe, mint, dill, cumin, as the law told you. But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. You've neglected justice. You've neglected mercy. You've neglected faithfulness. Those are things you ought to have done, Jesus taught. Without neglecting another, the others. You blind guides, you're straining out a gnat. And you're swallowing a camel. Jesus was one who hated unrighteousness. It would send him to the grave, literally. And he especially found it offensive when it was wrapped in holiness and hypocrisy. All right, another passage the preacher of Hebrews gives us. Look at Psalm 8, verses 4 and 6. Psalm 8, that wonderful psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You've displayed your splendor above the heavens. You know, the moon and the stars proclaim the handiwork and the magnificence of God. And then this. What is man, humanity, that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man. Yes, Janet, we'll deal with that at some point. The son of man that you care for him. You made him, and in a messianic sense here now, the son of man. A title that's well known in Daniel, in apocalyptic literature, for referencing Jesus or a coming Messiah. A son of man, a title that Jesus readily embraced and took upon himself. What is the son of man? You made him a little while lower than the angels. But you crowned him with glory. You crowned him with honor and put everything in subjection under his feet. That's Jesus as the son of man. This just shouts the early church hymn or or proclamation that Paul writes in Philippians. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. You made him a little lower than the angels. Let's get all of that on the screen. You made him a little while lower than the angels. Jesus emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave, of a bondservant, of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further. I mean, the the humbling, being made a little while lower than the angels, didn't stop with God becoming man. God then humbled himself to other humans. What? That's crazy. That is absolutely beyond our comprehension. Especially when we spend half of our time trying to build and puff ourselves up. Jesus emptied himself, takes the form of a servant, and is born in the likeness of men, and then being found in human form, he humbled himself to other men by becoming obedient to God to death. Even a humiliating death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. See the psalm? You made him a little while lower than the angels, but you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything in subjection under his feet to rule over all creation. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, I mean, it's it's, Jesus is not a different message. Jesus is The end of the conversation. He's the final word. 
God spoke to our fathers in the past in many different ways, in lots of ways, and many times through the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through, by, with His Son. Look at another one. We got time? Yeah, we got time for one more, maybe two. Psalm 22, 22. Messiah will tell of God's name to his brothers. In the midst of the congregation would sing his praise. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at what was recorded in the Gospels. Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, this wasn't a one-time, one-off event. This is what Jesus did. You want to find Jesus on Shabbat? You find Jesus at the synagogue. And he wasn't just showing up to check it off the righteousness list. He's showing up to communicate and speak the message of God. See, God spoke in these last days in by through, with his son in word as well as deed. And so, as was his custom, Jesus goes into the synagogue on Shabbat. He stands up to read. He's handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Shabbat, synagogue worship at the time, you'd have a reading from the Old Testament law. Those are the first five books. You'd have a reading from the prophets. He's reading the prophet reading out of Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll and he finds the place where it's written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What's the Hebrew word for anoint? Mashiach. Messiah. What's the Greek word for anoint? Christos. Christ. He has Messiahed me. He has Christed me. To proclaim good news. You angelon. You angelos in the Greek. This is, is, is good news. This is to the evangelism message to evangelize, to proclaim good news to the poor. Not just poverty poor, but the poor in spirit. He has sent me, apostled me in the Greek, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, not just the physically blind, but the spiritually blind. When that light goes off and you understand, ah, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. There is a freedom in the Lord Jesus that doesn't exist anywhere else. Because you are set loose from a, the bondage of sin, from the tyranny of sin, from the control of sin, from the destiny of sin. And you are empowered with the Lord above. To proclaim the year, the era, the time of God's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant 
Then he sat down. All the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him as he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Isn't that amazing? Okay, one more. We'll do this one quick. We go real quick. We'll do two more. Psalm 18, 2. I will put my trust in him. This is Messiah. will put his trust in Hashem, in God, the name, the Father. I will put my trust in him, in God. Now, what does what is, what is Jesus do? Jesus goes to Gethsemane. He's praying. He knows what's in front of him. And he says, Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Not what I will, but thy will be done. I'm convinced, by the way, that there is at least a good indication. You theologians, go work on this for next year, Mike. Okay, it seems to me, look, you are sitting next to Miss Old Testament, okay? Y'all get together, work this out over lunch with Charles. Here's my theory, okay? You go back and there is a cup of God's wrath that's spoken of in the Old Testament over and over and over. God's going to pour out his cup of wrath. And Jesus knows he's about to drink the dregs of that cup of wrath. And it's, Lord, please let this cup pass from me. I am convinced that to some degree, Jesus is Jesus clearly set aside his omniscience when he came to earth. He set aside that godly trait of knowing everything about everything. I don't think it would have fit into a human brain anyway. So he sets it aside when he comes to earth. There are things he even says, only my father knows, not even the son knows that. Okay, So, so to some degree, he sets aside. I'm absolutely convinced that it's conceivable that Jesus doesn't know how God's going to handle the resurrection. Jesus knows he's returning. He says it, but he doesn't have all of the details. He knows he is about to die for the sins of the people and go to hell on their behalf. Trusting that God will deliver him. But it's faithfulness. It's the faith of Christ in the sense of Christ being a subjective genitive. It's Jesus's faith. Say it that way in English. It's the faith that Jesus has that allows him to go to the cross because Jesus has enough faith and trust in God to fulfill what God had promised. Such that Jesus can even tell his apostles, I'm going away, don't be worried, I will come back. I go now to prepare a place for you. That doesn't mean he's up in heaven with a hammer and saw. That means he's going to Calvary. That's how he prepared the place for us. The Father's house already has many mansions. He's got to prepare a way for us, though. He's got to prepare a place for us. He's got to pave the way. Behold, you know, the, the, the way of the Lord, as John the Baptist would say. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Jesus is coming to prepare the way for us. So there he is. And Jesus has to put his trust in God, which Jesus does. And by that faith of Jesus, 
we have salvation. As he trusts God. But Jesus' faith is so great. He says, and here's where you two got to get together and work on it. He says, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't think he's just saying, hey, get me out of this. He's already resigned to that. That's what he came for. He's saying, please don't let me stay forever in this hell punishment stage. Don't let your wrath stay on me forever. Yet, not what I will, but thou. Jesus was willing to take the ultimate penalty forever if that's what it took. That's the devoted love that he had for us. But it's one that's rooted in his trust in God. Peter said when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And Peter's quoting Isaiah, by his wounds, by his stripes, you are healed. We are healed. And that messianic promise. Okay, we're out of time. We've got to go to points for home. Sorry. We have more. There are more. Read them in the lesson. Points for home. Number one, let's commit to study. Let's just say, okay, we're going to study. We're going to study the Old Testament. We're going to study the New Testament. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I want to hear what he had to say. Pastor David's preaching this year through the Old Testament. Come next Sunday and listen to what God had to say to our fathers through the prophets. Same message. Come hear it. No. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. I want to know Jesus. Not just as an intellectual concept, but as an intimate fellowship and relationship. And then last, here. Today, I didn't get to cover this one. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As those Jews did that got stuck in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts if you hear his voice. May I bless you in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus Messiah, I pray your blessings upon all voices. I mean, uh, all ears that hear the voice of, of, of your word today. And I pray your blessings on my friends and my family that are here listening. I ask you to go with them. Continue to mold their hearts and their minds in a fashion after your manner. To walk in the beautiful, glorious sunlight of your kingdom. Even in the midst of a dark and dismal world, Father. With sin, disease, and all of the problems this world faces, Father. May your face shine upon my friends. Be gracious to them and give them peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.